0: Theology of the Body Institute. This is
1: the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners.
0: Welcome back to another episode of our podcast. We're so happy to be with you again. Thanks for tuning in, you faithful listeners and new listeners out there. Maybe you're listening to this podcast for the first time.
1: Yeah, welcome.
0: Well, you have nearly 150 episodes to catch up on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) To enjoy. (laughs) We
0: do hear from podcast listeners around the world who have listened to every single episode, and not only once, some of them. (laughs) So we're grateful to all you faithful listeners, and we're grateful to you new listeners. Welcome.
1: And we, we met some of our listeners when you were teaching your recent the Algae of the Body Level 2 course. Yes,
0: just last week upon this recording, mm-hmm. I finished up a TOB 2. It's one of my favorite courses to teach. We do a deep dive into the Song of Songs, mm-hmm. which I love. And I had some good lessons as a teacher. I I always go into a week, you know, not only as a teacher, but as a student. Because I, I I know to be a better teacher, I have to remain a student. hmm and I said at the beginning of the week, as I was getting ready, I said, Lord, I, I just see the danger in being a teacher. I, When people are looking to you for answers, you can begin to think, oh, I must have them. <laughs> 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 I, I mean... I wouldn't be teaching if I didn't have something to share that the people coming wanted to learn. So obviously that's, and that's, that's a gift to share. So I'm yes, more than happy. And
1: I'm so glad our listeners are so glad that you have these gifts. Yes. To
0: share. I've devoted my life to studying this stuff and praying into this stuff and and not everybody gets to do that. So I am delighted. What a privilege to share the gift that I've been given. That's what a teacher does, but I know I have to remain a student in order to be a good teacher. So that was my prayer at the end of the week, or at the beginning of the week. Lord, keep me a student as I go into this week teaching. And the overarching lesson for me during the week was one that I have to learn over and over and over again, that my poverty as a human being, as a husband, as a father, as a teacher is not an obstacle to God's graces, but in mm-hmm. fact is the channel mm-hmm. through which God's graces reach other people, through my poverty. And the way the Lord teaches you that your poverty is a channel of His power is by showing you your poverty. I mm. don't yeah, were... like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my fallen humanity, I don't like it either, Yeah, because I like to pretend I don't have those weaknesses and those impoverished. And I was about to say impoverished places, but it's not just that we have impoverished places. The very definition of a creature is that we are in poverty. We we are in need of our Creator. That mm-hmm. poverty that is our defining element as a creature, is the need for the Creator. Yes,
1: that we're always in a state of need.
0: We're always in a state of need of our Creator. Mm -hmm. If God forgot us for a moment, we would vanish.
1: Mm.
0: We are in need, and our neediness, our nothingness, is only threatening. This is the lesson I keep learning over and over and over again. Our nothingness, our neediness, our poverty is only threatening if God doesn't want to meet us and fill us there our poverty, when we know that our nothingness is the shape of His everythingness, and that God wants to grant us His everythingness, or to put it another way, when we know that our poverty is the shape of God's riches, and our God wants to share His riches with us, then poverty is not a threat. And I have to learn that over and over and over again, and that was my overarching lesson throughout TOB2, and I'm I'm grateful for it, and Lord, keep teaching me. I need to learn it.
1: So as you experience that, you know, I, I sometimes wonder, can we put it in an even more practical way for our listeners? Um, you know, as you experiencing what you're calling your poverty, maybe like an area where you feel like either you failed or yeah. doing the right thing was very difficult and, you know, involved a lot of struggle in some way, that those are occasions of saying, I see my poverty and when you say, you know, the Lord wants to fill that with His riches, like, does that cause you to to thank the Lord for being reminded that you need Him? And, you know, just just spell that out yeah. a tiny well, okay. bit more here's, for me. Here's
0: the practical reality. I was hoping maybe I wouldn't have to say this, because, but here we go. Okay. So the week started with me in a situation with one of our children. You were there. You remember it, of seeing my... my a real failure in my fathering, mm. and, and it made me angry. My failure in my fathering made me angry at myself, because there's something in me that makes me think I'm supposed to be the dad who gets it right all the time. And that is, that's just an example of my poverty. I'll mm-hmm. never be the dad that gets it right all the time. I'll never be the the husband who gets it right all the time. I'll never be the teacher who gets it right all the time. I'll never be the podcast guy who gets it right all the time. (laughs) And those are just signs of my creaturely status. Mm -hmm. And the mark of original sin on our humanity is itself a rebellion against our creaturely status. We don't like being creatures. We want to be our own gods. That's the mark of original sin in all of our
1: humanity. Right.
0: And the the delightful paradox that St. Paul learned and proclaims, and we all need to learn, is when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I fail as a father, but I open that failure to God's mercy, to God's grace, well, his fatherhood begins to shine through my mm-hmm. poverty. And, you know, that scripture comes to mind, call no man on earth your father to begin with right i'm i'm not what fatherhood is god is what fatherhood is and god's fatherhood can can work through me but only in as much as i i open my poverty when i think i'm supposed to be the great dad or i'm supposed to be the great husband or i'm supposed to be the great teacher or i'm supposed to be the great podcaster of my own ability and strength well i'm making myself god and everyone can take examples from your own life and just fill in those blanks. Mm-hmm. Where are the Where are those places where your failures, your poverty, is on display, and it makes you angry at yourself? It makes you loathe yourself. Well, that's a loathing of our creaturely status,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we're loved there. That was the lesson over and over and over for me. Well, it is in life itself, but in a, it came in a very concentrated way teaching yeah. that course and i i yes i want to say thank you lord i want to get to the place where i can really and truly and i'm on that journey getting closer where i can really say thank you lord for my poverty thank you because it reveals your riches and it reveals your riches reveal your love for me in that place and the, it's
1: a, a purifying experience and even though being purified is painful there's also some relief yes and peace that comes in that purification Amen. too
0: men yeah cuz i don't I mean, the burden you put on yourself when you're trying to be God, mm. <laughs> and you're not. That's a terrible burden yeah. to carry. To raise yourself up to the level of God, to try to be God, to try to have it all together, to try to be the, the great dad, husband, teacher, podcaster, fill in the blank, whatever it is, that's just a burden. Nobody can carry <laughs> that burden, right? I don't care who you are. You're a creature, and creatures, by definition, are in need, mm-hmm. and that's not a handicap, that's that's who and what we are as creatures, and the Lord meets us right in that need. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's how our need becomes praise.
1: Well, speaking of the journey of life and meeting the Lord, I know you have something that you wanted to share yes. about what the Institute is doing.
0: We, as if you're a faithful listener, you've heard me talk about this, but I'm, I'm going to share it this week and one more time in our next podcast, because these are our final opportunities to invite you to join us on our pilgrimage to Mexico City to see the Tilma of Our Lady of Guadalupe and enter into the mystery of what happened 500 years ago when the Blessed Mother showed up and transformed a culture of violence, sexual chaos, and death into a culture of love and life. And she wants to do it again in our world. The Tilma holds real important keys to the challenges uh, and the hope of our time that we are living in right now. And I know people out there are concerned, what about traveling? What about a pilgrimage to Mexico during COVID times? Well, there's an open border between Mexico and the U.S. The only thing we have to do on the way back is we have to take a COVID test to get back into the country. And the pilgrimage company that we're working with, Select, they have all of that arranged. We get the we get the, um, COVID test uh, at our hotel within 24 hours, we'll have that COVID test before we come back to the States. There are only about eight spots left on our bus. So we're hoping to fill those eight spots, and maybe you're one of those eight people. Mm -hmm. So prayerfully consider it. If you're feeling that Holy Spirit nudge, be not afraid. Let's go to Mexico.
1: (laughs) Shall I give you a question from one of our patrons? This is from an anonymous patron. Uh, She says, hello, First, I would like to say thank you for your podcast.
0: You are so welcome.
1: Recently, I asked the man I hope I will one day be married to a question. I asked if he could see us together in the future, raising children and living for God together. We've been together for three years. We started our relationship in a carnal way and have both grown more in the Catholic faith. His response was, he doesn't know. He said he doesn't know what God's will is for us, and he doesn't want to say if he can see us together. So my question is, can our desires show us God's will? Can God use what we want for good? And I, I've read this question a few times. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe part of the question is, um, she's wondering if if maybe what she asked him uh, or the way that he took it, is this God's will, maybe kind of put it in this abstract place right. of like, somehow we have to get some message directly from heaven. Right. And she's wondering, is, are, how can we find out what God's will is? And is, Maybe it's her own desire that she's wondering, is that God speaking to her? Yes. Yeah, so. so
0: these are all great questions. Thank you so much for entrusting them to us. I hope we can shine a little bit of light here. Uh, speaking from my own experience, actually before I share my own experience, let me just say this. My initial reaction before you clarified your sense of it Wendy, my initial okay. reaction was wait a minute, you've been with this guy for 3 years and he's still kind of like dragging his feet and <laughs> and can't say whether he sees a future with you. My initial thought was to respond to this question by saying I'd I mean give this guy maybe 6 more months or something. <laughs> Uh, and if there's I mean after I mean three and a half years should be enough time mm. to to discern whether you are meant to spend your life with somebody. Mm-hmm. There could be extraneous circumstances, uh, exceptional circumstances that might call for a longer time than that. But generally speaking, I would be of the mind, not that my mind is infallible by any stretch, but I would be of the mind that three and a half years is more than enough, generally speaking, to be able to discern, Am I called to spend the rest of my life with this person? Mm. So that was my initial thought. but you've you shown a, a different light on the question here, Wendy. And maybe maybe he is caught up in this idea when he says, I don't know God's will. Maybe he's caught up in this idea as you said that I need some sign from heaven, I need a lightning bolt. Mm. And can God speak to our to us of His will through our desires? Absolutely he can and he does. Now, that doesn't mean our desires are an infallible interpretation of God's will, because oftentimes our desires are clouded with our own pettiness, selfishness. Um, Original sin itself has confused and disordered some of our most basic and fundamental desires. So we can't say desires themselves are an infallible guidance, but we can say that God does use our desires to show us what His will is for our lives. I mean, that's just a truth. The real question then becomes, okay, is this desire a word from God for me? And I can't answer that question. If we had maybe three hours over a couple beers, and we could get to know one another more, and I could hear more of your story— uh, and I could hear more of the ups and downs in your relationship, and I could hear more of what you've been through in these three years together. You did mention that you started out, um, you as you said, in a carnal way, and by that I assume we are to take that you were sexually active. Um, that in and it itself is not something God can't work with. God can work with anything if we open our broken places to Him, let His mercy come in there. So that itself is not an obstacle. It does raise additional questions, challenges. Have you stayed together in a relationship because you were sexually active, Uh, that otherwise, if there hadn't been that sexual connection that you would have discerned maybe earlier on in the relationship, maybe quite earlier, uh, that you weren't meant to be together? I don't know. I don't know how to answer those questions, so um, I can't really give counsel there. But um, Wendy, I know you have something you want to add to the mix here, so I'll I'll toss the ball to you, (laughs) and and if in light of what you say, I have something additional to add, I I, will. Yeah, sure, sure.
1: Yeah, I had many of the same thoughts that you did, and I I can see how this relationship already has been through some important stages and important graces, Um, and I really appreciate this question that she has asked this man in that it really is. Yeah, way is, to put it out there. Right. It's like, what is the purpose of all of that's our right. relationship? That's great. Yeah. You know, and if, if you can't um articulate that, that I desire, you know, a future that's a permanent relationship, that's living this call to union and fruitfulness together, well, then that is a problem. So I feel like, you know, it, it probably is a little bit painful to hear that reaction or hear that answer yeah. from him. And in processing, you know, the pain of him maybe, you know, being reluctant to, you know, enthusiastically speak of your future. Um, you know, I can imagine just kind of stepping back from that and saying, well, Lord, why is he, why is he questioning that? What is, what is wrong with his thinking or, you know, or with my thinking and just as you said, we don't know all the, the ins and outs and I don't think we'd ever want to encourage right. somebody that's just listening to our podcast to, you know, make some decision based on our advice. But um, I I just mostly want to affirm that that was a very good question to ask. And I think more people, I hope, are inspired by your asking that and hearing about it on the podcast to, you know, take a deeper look at their own relationships. What are they in by by habit or by fear of change that maybe needs to be prodded along and, and and bring freedom. Yes. You know, freedom to all people to really know their circumstances and make a choice for the good based on knowing what's really yes, true. She
0: shows herself to be well aware that dating has an orientation. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: It's, it's really, a cer- certainly, as you're, you know, we could say something different about teenagers dating or something. That would be a separate conversation, the pros and cons of dating as a teenager. But when you're in your adult life, dating clearly is meant to be where you discern, Mm -hmm. am I called to marry this person? Mm -hmm. And as the saying goes, eventually it's time to S-H-I-T or get off the pot. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I have heard that saying. (laughs) Shall we go on? Yes.
0: Bless you, dear listener. I just want to just shower you with blessings and and gratitude also for being a patron. We're very grateful to you for your support. Uh, I hope you're taking advantage of all the exclusive offerings and ongoing formation, the library of talks and study series and all kinds of goodies that we have for our patrons. And I just invite anybody out there, if you're feeling a little Holy Spirit nudge to support our work, um, click that patron link in our show notes. We'd be so grateful to you for your support of this mission.
1: Yes. Our next question is from a listener named Pablo. Hello, Pablo. I was a sperm donor as a younger man before I came to faith. I now follow the Church's teaching on sexual ethics, the clinic where I made my donations, still has some of my, quote, material Mm, mm. left over in order to be able to provide fully related siblings if any of the women who've already received my material wish for further children from the same father. It goes without saying, I won't be providing any further material, and I'm strongly inclined to tell them to dispose of whatever remains. I haven't done it yet because I feel awful that I'll potentially be creating further fractures In families already formed outside of God's will, any advice or comments would be hugely appreciated. God
0: bless you, Pablo. Golly, wow! This uh, is—we've gotten a lot of questions on this podcast. Yeah, Um, like um, almost 150 episodes times average of three. Yeah, that would be 450 questions or Mm -hmm. so that we've answered on this podcast. Haven't answered that one.
1: No, I, it is the first time that I've really heard from anyone t- reflecting on the experience of having been a sperm donor Yeah, me, in the past. I mean,
0: I, I think I have encountered it yeah. here and there, but I've never heard it quite like this. So mm-hmm. Pablo, first of all, brother, wow, what an evidence of grace in your life, where you were and where you are now. Just praise God for your openness to grace. That must have been quite a journey for you to see what you see now knowing that you were in a place at one point where you thought that was no problem to donate your sperm when we make choices uh, outside of god's will uh, even after forgiveness and repentance and god's graces like that yeah there are consequences and i can i can tell that you are you're buttoning up against that right now and i i just want to affirm your heart and I want to encourage you to know that God loves you right there. This is not some vengeful God up in the sky saying, well, I told you so. If you would have listened to me in the first place, right. you wouldn't be in this pickle. Uh, that, is, that is not our God. There are, of course, consequences um, that are painful, and you are facing that, but not because God is vengeful. So I just encourage you keep your heart open to his tender love for you in that place. I would invite you even Pablo, if you haven't done this already. Uh, if you feel led, not not this it's a delicate thing. We we shouldn't go poking around in our own painful memories by ourselves. Never ever go poking in your painful memories by yourself. But if the Holy Spirit is leading you there, you can go confidently with the Holy Spirit. Mm. To illuminate certain aspects of your life that can can be very healing later on. I have done this over and over and over again, uh, with with wa- the wise help of a good spiritual director, where I've I've gone back to memories, with Jesus, with Mary, with the saints, with the Holy Spirit, with God the Father, and just asked for their light on these painful memories. So, if you feel led there, Pablo. You might want to go back to what was your state of mind, what was your state of heart when you went to that clinic and went through the process of sperm donation? And I, I, was, I was intrigued, Pablo, by your using of their vocabulary, that material, you know, and, and that's precisely the problem. It's not just material. Mm. This is your blood. This is your sperm. And I know there's an old joke from a Monty Python skit about every sperm is sacred, uh, and people laugh because of that association with that Monty Python thing. But it's true. Every sperm is sacred. sperm are a testimony, and some of you listeners out there may have heard me say this before, where do we get the word testicles? It shares the same root as words like testimony testament uh, testify. Sperm are a testimony to the fatherhood of God. Uh, God's fatherhood is revealed in and through human fatherhood. It's not just raw material. It's not just biological material. It's theological. It reveals a divine mystery, and you are feeling the pain that your deepest essence as a man is sitting in some refrigerator mm-hmm. and could unbeknownst to you be be being used for uh, in in vitro fertilization and and the you did say one of your concerns is would I be causing further rupture to to retrieve that sperm um, because maybe there are families out there who want to use that same sperm so they can have biologically related children Brother? I get that sentiment, but actually your sperm still hanging out there is causing the possibility of further rupture because in vitro fertilization uh, or uh,
1: artificial, artificial insemination.
0: insemination could be another way your sperm could be used. Those are rupturing experiences. They do not uh, aid families in—on in, you know at, on a technical level, we can say they, they, quote, help families bring children into the world. But through a rupture that is itself always an injustice to that child, that is the result not of the loving embrace of their mother and their father, but the embrace of, uh, but are the the fruit of a technical procedure by a, a medical professional. This will always be a rupture in the life of that child. So I would say to you, brother, retrieve that sperm, retrieve it, retrieve it. You will be doing more good for the world in retrieving it. And in fact, you could be causing further harm to the world by retaining it out there. So I don't know what the legalities are here. I have no clue what the legalities are, but I would think you have a legal right to retain, to obtain your own sperm, to take it off the market, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And even if that's not already a legal right, I would imagine it would not be hard to find a lawyer. Uh, especially a Catholic lawyer who understands the church's teaching, who would defend your case in that situation if it came to that. Yeah, Wendy, you have any additional thoughts there for Pablo? Our dear brother, I, I feel your pain, brother, and I, I just want you to know we will be lifting you up in prayer. Jesus, please, please guide our brother Pablo, uh, yeah. however you want to guide him here. And if what we are sharing here is of help, uh, let it be.
1: Yeah, I, I just fully agree with what you're saying. I, I feel like um, it's it's not good to as we, you know, usually put that out in our kind of ethics, we say, do evil, that good may result. Right. You can't do evil, that good may result. Right. And so, the,
0: the, the, right. And just to clarify, Wendy, your point that um, every child conceived, right, is a good even if that child is conceived of in vitro or artificial insemination or incest or premarital sex or adultery or God forbid, but we know it all happens in this world. We all know that it happens in this world through an act of of sexual violence. Uh, Those are evil acts.
1: Those are evil, and it does not cause the the baby to therefore be evil. But when we are in the place of choosing our actions, even his comment that he could see it, maybe a sort of a good for a family that, that he would be hindering. But I think you're just, you know, making that point. And I fully agree that, um, with where your conscience is now and, and it's in a a place of truth and where, where the Lord is at work, I think the right thing definitely is to no longer have that material as he put it out there. Yes.
0: Yes. Every sperm is sacred brother. It's the truth. It's the truth. (laughs) Uh,
1: Our next question is from an anonymous listener. If affection, especially in dating, is meant to be given only to affirm the goodness of the other and not for yourself.
0: It sounds like she's read Good News About Sex and Marriage. He or she (laughs) has read my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. That's how I put it there.
1: Hmm. Is it wrong when you're in need of comfort to ask for a hug or some other affection?
0: No. <laughs> no, 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 no.
1: <laughs> what did you want to say, though? Can I wanted you just to say get... no. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Um,
0: now, you know, one always has to look at his or her heart. Uh, but let's just let's just be very specific. Specific and clear here. We need affection. We need touch. We need mm. love. We need affirmation. And that comes through the body, and that's good. It's the way God made us. It's good. If you do not touch an infant, it can die mm. from lack of touch. Even if you're connected to an IV and it's getting all its nutrients, that baby can die from lack of human touch. We are made for touch. When we do not know how to experience healthy, holy touch, when all human touch is suspect, we're in trouble, Uh, because it's going to come out sideways. It's going to come out in unhealthy ways. I am convinced—you got to be careful here, because, you know, this this could be a overreaching or something, but there is a truth. I'll put it that way. I am convinced that there is a truth in what I'm about to say, that the lack of healthy touch in our lives can lead to masturbation, can lead to uh, fornication, can lead to pornography addiction, can lead to all these illicit substitutes. Mm. There is a connection here, uh, Healthy needs need to healthy needs for touch need to be met by healthy touch. When healthy needs for touch are met by unhealthy touch, our need for touch itself can get twisted up, and can we can end up acting out from some twisted up place. So, it it could be the case that even in the most um, innocent I need comfort, I need a hug. Maybe it's not always so innocent. Maybe there's some mixed motive in there, maybe there's some twisted desire in there. But still, it shouldn't stifle us. The the need for examination of our motives should never be a stifling of our genuine needs. Right? And we need to be touched. Uh, Wendy, am I missing something here? Am I did I did I I'm always looking to qualify everything well, and I'm not so sure I did. Did I? Help me out.
1: I think you are speaking beautifully about the need for touch. And, you know, it just maybe it kind of points out that when we have kind of a construct to guide us, that sometimes we can take it to a place it it wasn't meant to guide us to. So this construct of maybe, you know, affection is an affirmation and not a self-seeking. Yes. That that's a good construct. And yet it you know got taken to a place where it, it caused a suspicion toward right. just a, a, a communication, you know, communicating a need um, in that dating relationship that, you know, to say to somebody you're dating, I could just use a hug is a fine thing to say, yeah. you know, so I think it's just beautiful. To hear the sincerity of heart that wants to really follow the Lord, and also to be reminded, like you know, we can just maybe latch onto things so much so that we yes. end up in a place we were never. That's
0: a good being point, Wendy. To. I think I think you put your finger on this questioner's dilemma. That uh, altruism—we're uh, all called to altruism, uh, a focus on the other, uh, choosing for the good of the other but part of love is also learning to receive. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if, par, if, if part of love is not learning to receive, the, and you're always giving, well, to whom are you giving? Mm-hmm. The person to whom you're giving has to learn how to receive what you're giving. Mm-hmm. And guess what? We ourselves have to learn how to receive uh, the love of others. Um, I, I like to say, in our relationship with God, all we can really say to God is not, I love you, but I love you too. This is love, not that we first love God, but that He first loved us, as the Scripture says, which puts us in a place of receptivity. Receptivity is the fundamental posture of the creature before God. And this kind of loops us back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, our, our creaturely need. Uh, that's just reality. We, our fundamental disposition as human beings is that of needing to learn how to receive the love of God then we are to give that love to others and in giving it to others those others to whom we're giving it are called to receive and then oftentimes we're in the posture in human relationships where we need to receive the love that others are are giving us so all of that is integral to the truth about love yes. and we're all made for love the giving and receiving of love so true. if you know somebody out there who needs to receive a little bit of love right now, maybe you could share this podcast with that person as a way of sharing some love. Mm -hmm. Uh, I bet you know somebody who needs to hear something that you've heard in the podcast today. That's just a way that we can grow our family uh, of podcast listeners. It helps to expand our reach in this important mission that we have. So we'd be grateful for your help in that regard. May you know deep in your bones, till we meet again, and even after we meet again, that you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, and unrepeatable gift.
1: Become what you are.
0: Woo! Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.